When you are building something no one has ever seen, something no one has ever imagined, who can you turn to for help? The answer is the other people who are facing the same issues you are. Those product-inventing, boundary-pushing, design-obsessed folks who are just like you. Welcome to AWS Startup Stories. I'm Michelle Kung. And I'm Michael Copeland. What follows are the tools that work, the leadership practices that make a difference, and the lessons you only learn by building a company. And one more thing, what startup jockeys do with a very rare item, their downtime. So let's get to it. We're taking a deep dive into ASEAN in the following podcast, talking with founders and investors from one of the world's fastest growing startup ecosystems. From Singapore to Ho Chi Minh City, Bangkok, Jakarta, and other parts of the region, hear how entrepreneurs are tackling this massive market, what investors are hunting for, and why startups are having such an impact across all dimensions in this part of the world. Welcome to the AWS Startup Podcast. We are here with Anna Gong, who is the CEO and founder of Perks Technologies based in Singapore. And Anna, welcome. Thank you, Michael. Great to be here. I have to ask, uh, as we do, uh, how are you and how is you, you and yours in Singapore? Oh, it's, uh, you know, it's been a roller coaster ride, but uh, you can't be in a better place in Singapore. It's been pretty good. Uh, we went through our, you know, I think firefighting mode and all of the uh, cutting, the cost cutting, and now it's finally stabilized. And right. I think uh, everyone's pretty much now in their remote working mode and we're highly productive and overworked. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's, it's back to normal then, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. This is your fifth with a five startup, the first that you founded in Asia. So I can't wait to sort of dig into your experience. And, and I want to get into Perks Technologies and what you guys do. Um, so let's start there. Tell us about Perks, why you founded it and what problem you were solving for. Yes, uh, we started with a B2C and I, I came in as a growth CEO um, and it was more or less consolidation of different merchants into a, a, a lifestyle app and for um, consumer driven businesses so you can make it easier for consumers to go and buy their favorite you know, products and services, especially FMB, right? Buy 10 cups of coffee, you get one free. And that was right. eight. Eight years ago, when the founders, the original two founders, uh, started this business, I came in no in November 2014, and this is one of those weird scenarios where you're supposed to be hired as the growth CEO, but you end up uh, being the refounder. I had to sunset the business, shut down the B2C business after months in, and decide to propose to the board that this is not where we should be heading towards, and it's going to fail. And it was a very difficult decision to make because we had to rewrite the entire platform. And, you know, building a B2C platform is very different from building an enterprise SaaS platform. Right. And so it, we had to write course everything, redevelop, build a prototype and, you know, go and find product market fit. Very much like starting from scratch. So 18 months into that uh, build, we literally just focus and double down on that enterprise model and completely sunset the the old business. And even the the original two founders have uh, left, and um, we bought them out. And so the, the 
cap tables all clean. And, and so it's really my baby now. And it's been, um, it's been like this since 2016. So as an enterprise SaaS company, and you guys are focused, you have, you know, some very large customers, but how are you helping them with their programs? And, and how has that changed kind of the tenor and the composition of perks? Yeah. So the evolution was, you know, everyone's so inundated with lifestyle apps and getting app fatigue, right? So it's so hard to convince a consumer to download another app um, that's not essential to their lifestyle. And so when we thought about what traditional brands have or have not done or lack of uh, is really customer engagement and really relevant personalized engagement. And especially in the telco sector, banking, insurance, um, and certain retail essentials like grocery and so forth. And we, we thought of why not enable large enterprises to connect with their customers better. And it was more from a personal experience where, you know, I, I was with a telco here for seven, eight years and gave them a lifetime value of 80 to 100K. And that's a lot of money as a customer of this particular telco, but I was never engaged. And when I left them to go to a cheaper plan, uh, having pivoted to a startup, they uh, sent me an email to ask me why I've left and fill out a survey, actually. <laughs> so it can't get colder than that. Yeah, so there was you're no- like, this is why I left. <laughs> yeah. And so equally with some of my ex-colleagues, they've been with one telco for 20 years and all of a sudden... They get called after pivoting to another telco, switching to another telco. And he was asking the rep, who are you? Where are you from? Which department? She's I'm from the loyalty department. So why are you calling me now that I left? You know, there was no loyalty. So I think a lot of it is very reactive. Right. Yeah. We try to redefine what loyalty is in the digital economy and what customer engagement really is and, and let the marketers and the head of revenue really redefine that for themselves. And we built a platform to help them, um, you know, and, and the business is now shifting. We, we actually pivoted a couple of times over the last uh, four years. What you and I'm glad you used that word because in some ways, and I I know it's not easy, but you hear it sort of thrown out there like, oh well, pivot, and that big pivot at the beginning when you joined, and then 18 months later, you you know you had to basically start from from scratch. But what have you learned in in this pivoting, and you know, is it something that you are happy to do or that that you would rather not go through? You know, hindsight's 2020. 20. I don't think I regretted any of it. One of the questions and, and probably more frequent questions, why didn't you start from scratch or start over because you kept the investors and you didn't really sunset the entire business and you kept the brand? Um, there was some inherent DNA that um, we learned from the original B2C business and that because we're B2B2C and when you understand the consumer-driven economy, you can help these enterprises build better businesses and that's where we were coming from, that DNA. And so now our, our entire purpose and mission is to help businesses globally to become digitally and delightfully engaged marketplaces. Because if you think about uh, what Shopify is doing to e-commerce, we're helping, and, and Asia is moving in like, you know, s- rapid pace. Warp speed, yeah. Where fintech, mobile first, and, you know, the super apps are really controlling or, or defining the ecosystems. And now you have telcos saying that they don't compete with the other telcos, but re- really they're competing with the super apps. And, you know, when you ask them, who are they, who do you compete with? They say Grab or Gojek. And so, and that, that's where the ecosystem's not evolving, and it's primarily due to the, the 
the China big giants, right? Tencent and Alibaba coming in to other parts of Asia Pacific. And we're really fueling the ecosystem and investing in fintech. Now, everything now is starting to underpin by fintech. And if you think about every telco or, or bank or insurance company, they are trying to build their, their own super app. And so they're trying to build this whole marketplace and, and provide the infrastructure to allow them to do that. But they, you, know, you cannot just slap some SKUs or SKUs into a marketplace um, like what you would do as an SME with Shopify. Uh, you cannot sell more SIM cards and mobile devices, right? That's not what the customers want. They really want a lifestyle-oriented, content-driven marketplace. And that's right. why you have you know, the, the telcos really pivoting big time. And they're, they're now becoming banks and gaming companies are applying for virtual banking licenses. E-commerce companies are moving into fintech. So the, the whole landscape from the banking, insurance, telco, and retail and e-commerce sector are now becoming grayer and grayer in the competitive landscape. And so we're seeing everyone trying to become a super app in Asia. And this is where we're actually enabling them to become more delightfully engaged marketplaces. Right. That's fascinating. And, and it's this battle royale for who who kind of owns the customer. Yes. And like you, like you described, you know, not that long ago telcos and banks didn't really have to worry about, did they own the customer because customers didn't have much choice, but certainly now they do. And, um, that's interesting. And so now they're having to, through your help, I guess, um, catch up and then, you know, ideally move ahead. Yes. Yeah. I have to ask, and I, I was reading something where you had described sort of this period as a time where you had to be a wartime CEO and correct me if I'm wrong there, but what has changed about your job during this period? I mean, how have you, like you said, this is your fifth startup. So maybe, you know, what's, what have you seen that you're seeing now? What's completely different, but how has your job changed in this period that we we've all been going through? Oh, this is tough. Um, you know, I've been through the dot-com bomb days <laughs> yeah. and you want, you know, you go through the financial crisis period, 9-11, all, I mean, you name it, right? I was in that era. So I'm really, you know, <laughs> telling people how old I am, but it's no different. It's just a different situation, different geography that you're in, but to manage the situation, because when I was 25 years old and working for a startup in a warehouse in San Jose and trying to grow, you know, and not knowing anything. And then the, you go through two or three startups and trying to, you know, find funding and so forth. You learn how to fail and you fail really miserably. And then you pick up and then the fourth startup was very successful. But this whole thing about resilience and grit, it really comes from the founder's determination and perseverance that, you know, that you have to believe in your own vision. And we're, when we're going through this whole crisis mode, one of the hardest things that I had to do in my entire career was to lay off and let go of people through Zoom. I mean, who, who, <laughs> who's ever yeah. experienced oh, man. that? Yeah. Right. And so that's one of those very um, intangible things that, you know, you want to give them a hug or even just just look them straight in the eyes face to face. But you can't. And that, it was really difficult because you're affecting lives and families. And so that was probably a true test to some of our toughest times, I think. And now you, you've sort of I, I don't want to put it too simply, but you've come through the other side and 
How do you think about kind of building going forward right now? Um, and how are you relating to customers, you know, the same or differently? You know, one of the things that we see at AWS is that in some ways, for some companies that have the ability, it's a good time to try and experiment. It's a good time to try and build something new and try something new, pilot things, and then, you know, blow them out as they work more and more and more. But what are you seeing and how are you working with your customers, perhaps the same or, or, or differently? Yes, we are working with traditional enterprises, so they are not as sophisticated with cloud technologies. And when we were working with one of the banks uh, in the Philippines, 20 of their employees logged in through their own Outlook, Yahoo, Gmail accounts. (laughs) So, you know, it's a major banking institution. And so uh, I think they all scramble to um, get you know, effective and to get digitalized. And that's even just the the workforce. Now, you know, talking about buying cycles and procurement, um, now they're fast tracking some of the digitalization projects and transformation projects. It's in our favor because before it was quite slow and they they were waiting and seeing and you you can see the demarcation between those who are leaders and or challengers and those who are followers and it's a classic example right you watch you wait and see who actually goes first and then you react to it and then everybody follows right now now everyone's racing to that finish line to get digitalized and what does that mean right it's very broad uh, from an infrastructure level all the way out to the front line and so i i think it's um it's a great opportunity to be serving some of these large enterprises who are trying to pivot into mobile first entities and this is this is a good time to to co-innovate and co-create with them as well so we're seeing a lot of uh, really great minds uh, and and projects at play yeah i think that's a great point and i and i like to point out the optimism that, you know, to the extent that there is optimism. And this is really part of that though, where people are trying new things and pushing hard and, and speeding up toward this goal that they know they had to hit before, but, but now they really understand that, that, that it's kind of existential if they want to come out the other side and, and really increase their velocity. I have to ask, you know, you, you talk to lots of entrepreneurs and, you know, what are you telling, and I, I think you're a mentor, I've seen you, you know, on certain boards and, and things like that. What are you telling others about this time and, and how to think about invention and building and, or maybe just expanding and, and, or kind of holding your own space, but h- how are you thinking about that? And how are you talking to, you know, other entrepreneurs about this period and, and how they should think about invention and building? I think it's the best time to start a company during this time. Uh, There's so many opportunities for them to consider. I I think for us who are knee deep into a startup and we're at the growth stage, it's really first and foremost to be financially prudent because we don't know if this is a W or a slow U-shaped, you know, economic situation, most likely a, a slanted W. And so if you think about, that you, we have to have at least 12 to 18 months runway right. uh, or a sustainable roadmap. And we haven't been looking at it in this way, right? We, we, we all CSI our entire financial model. <laughs> and I think everyone went through the exercise in the last few months to look at what we can cut and what we can actually optimize. Mm-hmm. If we actually did this 
almost as a, a regimen and a rigorous um, practice or protocol, we would save so much money throughout <laughs> COVID or non-COVID. Right, right. right. <laughs> so, and so we, we went through our entire organization to look at what we can cut or optimize. And we ended up cutting a significant number of things that we weren't really using. Um, we could downsize a number of licenses that we didn't know that we were not optimally using. So there's so many things to consider, but at the same time, because you're running full steam, right? When the economy is actually operating very well and you don't look at CSIing your entire financial model. Right, <laughs> so, right. And we are doing that uh, consistently. So I think to be extremely prudent, but at the same time, really continue to follow your dreams and, and your vision, because I think this is the hardest time to be depressed and to be distracted. Left, right and center, you see a lot of layoffs and casualties and it's just it's tough. Um, so the resilience and grit, it comes back down to the soft skills and the determination of the founders. Well, it's certainly something that you have in spades, as they say. I have no doubts about that. Well, let me jump into these questions. What is a tool you use on a regular basis? And it can be a technical tool, non-technical tool, but something that you really lean on. Well, I use a lot of Slack these days. I hate emails. Everything is like, I need it yesterday. I need it urgently. I need a quick response because we're solving so many problems and we're, we're juggling a, a number of tasks. And, you know, Trello is one of them. Sales Navigator for me because, you know, we're, we're connecting with a lot of senior leaders and I'm working with my marketing team. So there's this, a number of tools that we're, we're using to optimize our day-to-day. -day. Um, I'm still quite hands-on. Uh, and I hope that I can relieve myself uh, in the coming months. But at the moment, I think I need to be with uh, my team in the trenches. And so I'm touching almost every tool. A leadership practice or routine. This could be something that, you know, you do with your team now that you find works or something that you've done, you know, over time with, with other teams as well that you really think works. For me, this is a very individual thing, and I never used to embrace this, but I meditate almost daily, and I exercise tremendously. Even just if, I, if, if I'm tired, I just go out for a long walk. But, it, you know, you need that downtime, especially now we're so, you know, hyper-productive and focused on, on video, and that zaps you, that drains you to the core. Um, and then you become so st unconsciously stressed that you don't even know it. Right. And so I, I, uh, I try to extricate or, or relieve myself from this whole entire environment and uh, do my routine of journaling, meditating and exercising. Yeah. So any of those things, and I, and I absolutely agree that you need to sort of disconnect your brain from the kind of, you know, just flood that comes in all, you know, all the time and in all different manners, but how do you find the time or do you schedule it? And, or, I mean, is it the same time every day or do you just set aside a chunk of time when you can? Actually, it's in my calendar. Okay. <laughs> so I, I do block off that, that time, uh, journal, you know, and then meditation. So it's daily. And then my exercise, I, I, you know, break it from either early morning or evening, but it, it, most of the time it's evening exercise right after I shut down, you know, I literally just go out for a long run. I think exercise or meditation or any of those things that unlock your mind, does it bring you back to like more creativity and you come back, you know, with better ideas or at least more energy or what is the result do you think? 
oh, you're in a super high, high mode. When you're meditating, you get so hyper-focused and in the moment that you're solving a number of problems that you don't even think about solving. And all of those solutions start to come to, to mind. And so the minute after I meditate, I go running to my notepad or, or my <laughs> uh, laptop and start, you know, jotting down all those things I now I've found a solution for because I had time to pause. Right. And so this is where we're running like, you know, in this rat race and we're so busy and distracted all the time. We didn't, we don't have time to pause a bit. And when we meditate, oh my gosh, that is the one period or, or exercising. when I do these long runs, you have runners high and you just continuously go through and you're sort of in this meditative zone. Right. And so you're, you're solving so many problems while you're doing it. And I cannot, you know, advise people to do this. If you don't exercise as much, meditate and, and vice versa. If you can do both, it's real. I mean, I thought to myself, I, this should be my most stressful time. And it was the last few months, but I am in such a content and peaceful mode. I, I don't know how to, you know, even right. quantify or, or to help people visualize that, but I'm actually at a quite peaceful time. That's amazing. I mean, that's good to hear. And I, I you know, you get glimpses of it, um, but it's hard. And, and like you say, it, you need to make it happen. It's not going to present itself um, very easily unless you do that. A lesson learned. This can be something that you were happy to learn and <laughs> enjoyed learning the lesson or something that you're like, oh, I hope I never have to do that again. Well, recently, actually, because I, we're going through a lot of our own, I would say, self-development. So, and we have certain founders networks and CEO networks, and we're, we're going through a lot of own self-reflection uh, and development. And I learned how to do better journaling. Who knew that, you know, to write down your goals, there are 10 different ways to do it, but I evolved myself. And I've been through this, a couple of workshops with some uh, leadership coaches, peak performing coaches, and they advise you to do it a certain way. And so now I'm actually going through a, a different way of writing and visualizing what that success or solutioning path looks like. And uh, so it's just very, it sounds fluffy, <laughs> but you know, this is where most CEOs actually go to uh, find themselves or, or to improve is through reflection and connecting with uh, like-minded folks and learning these foo-foo stuff, right? At the end of the day, all we're talking about is mental health. How are you improving? Yes, we talk about operational efficiency and excellence and, and so forth and fundraising and all that. But majority of what we talk about a lot of times is really about the soft skills, the development and mental health. How do we become more resilient? How do we visualize even more success? You know, like all of those manifestations and so forth. So it's interesting. So I adopt some of those and that's what I'm trying to exercise some of those uncomfortable muscles in a way. Yeah. I think, you know, as a, as a former journalist and, and kind of writer by by predilection, I just think the act of putting something down on on paper or on your digital screen or whatever it is, I mean, journaling sounds to me like it probably doesn't happen on a laptop, but maybe it does, but that it crystallizes your thoughts. At AWS and at Amazon, we have a, a kind of a doc writing process where you have to write it down so you can you know, look at the logic and, and look at the steps and, and, and that. And so I, I think in some ways just the act of putting it down on paper helps you to look at it more critically and, and maybe in a different way. And journaling must be a, be a part of that. 
Absolutely. So it's becoming a daily pattern. So the more you actually write and visualize those goals, most of them have come true (laughs) because I I subconsciously view the successes already here. Right. And those solutions are already completed and and, um, achieved. And so it's an interesting pattern that we go through. Um, But if you don't do it, would it actually have the same results? We can debate all day long about it, but this is just my method of actually creating more structure around my own uh, patterns and behavior. Okay, what are you binging on? And you can't say journaling and you can't say meditation or long runs, but what are you watching, reading, listening to, maybe even eating, because you guys have great food in Singapore, but what are you binging on? I am so into uh, YouTube these days watching, uh, so Professor Galloway, Scott Galloway. I'm, oh. I, I'm, I'm actually, you know, shameless to to um, to talk about. It. I love his uh, attitude, his personality, and oh, he's super vocal, right? And he talks a lot about Amazon, actually. But his ideas and his controversial statements. So I'm binging on him, Joe Rogan. Uh huh. Podcast <laughs> so, or video? I guess there's yeah, both. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm binging on that. So. That's what I'm doing. Good stuff. Well, I I have to ask for all the other entrepreneurs out there. I think you have vast experience in this. When it comes to selling to the enterprise, you know, from a startup's perspective, how are you in some sense enterprise ready? What advice would you give to folks who are just starting out trying to do that? Because I think that I find that that's one of the most difficult things for startups to to really get right. Yeah, I think you have to have sold or touch enterprise customers uh, and or even learn if you if you don't have the experience in solving complex problems uh, i think most founders because they've been a developer first and a lot of the the developers have jumped straight into the deep end by starting these enterprise platforms or or uh, software companies and they're having a struggle in terms of the go-to-market because they never really marketed or sold solutions. And so they don't know how to pitch in, in that fashion. Right. And the opposite is, you know, true where you're very non-technical and then you want to actually solve these complex problems that you end up, you know, slowing down because you've hired the wrong CTO or the co-founder and you, you're not technically technically savvy to debate and to challenge some of those frameworks. And so, to have a fine balance would be, uh, depending on your business model as well, or what kind of solution. If you're a heavy DevOps solution, obviously you have to be engineering led. <laughs> so, right. But if you're, you know, marketing solution like ours or sales engagement type of solutions, um, CRM types, you may or may not have to be technical. But I think um, just practice and practice and, and join certain networks and ecosystems where you can actually learn from each other. And I think there's so much support right now in the ecosystem uh, of entrepreneurs and founders that they're going to embrace everyone's challenges and and problem solving. So I think it's the best time to start a company. That's really good advice. And, And if you haven't had the experience of working in a large enterprise, somehow you have to you know, wrap your head around it, whether that's from a technical perspective or from a non-technical kind of business problem-solving perspective. And there's people out there who can help. Um, Well, Anna, I want to thank you so much. 
I like the fact that you, you're, you're sort of more centered and calm than ever. And it sounds like, you know, after using all these tools that you use on a regular basis to keep your hands and everything and to stay in touch and on top of things, um, meditation, journaling, and a bit of Professor Galloway and Joe Rogan is the key. So I really appreciate your time. What's next for Perks? What should, what, what should we keep an eye out for? Look out for us really, you know, I, I would say disrupting the, the marketplace where Shopify isn't. And we're really helping these large enterprises and traditional enterprises to become super apps and highly engaged marketplaces that are as sexy and digital natives as these mobile first companies. And so it's, it's an exciting time and period for us to be in. And we see a lot of pent up demand. So we're geared up for it. We'll look for super apps coming out of Singapore. Anna Gong, CEO and founder of Perks Technologies, thank you so much. Thank you very much. If you are looking to get started on the cloud with AWS, our Activate program provides startups with a host of benefits, including AWS credits, technical support, training, and other resources to help grow your business. Head to aws.amazon.com backslash activate for more. Do us a favor and leave us a review. And if you know someone who we should have on the show, or maybe it's you, reach out to us at startupstories at amazon.com. And subscribe to AWS Startup Stories wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>